Metro Library Podcast Studio at Stonehill College, this is Short Circuits. One author in the spotlight, generating electricity, shooting off sparks. In this episode, Professor Amra Brooks sits down with Ross Gay, poet, essayist, professor of poetry at Indiana University, recipient of the 2015 National Book Critics Circle Award, and the Pan America Gene Stein Book Award for his most recent publication, Beholding, in 2021. Now here in conversation, Amra Brooks and Ross Gay. I have I have so many questions. I have gardening questions. I have, <laughs> I have all kinds of questions. Um, I you know it's funny. I don't really like doing introductions ever. Like I I sort of hate talking about other people's work, and I always want them to just talk about their work. And but really being immersed in your work this semester. And when I wrote the introduction, I just, I I was like, I want to write about your work. (laughs) Like it was such a joy to do it. And, and I've just been thinking about it so much. And it was the first time that I didn't read anything about you. You know, I just was like in it and I had so much to say. And it, it was the first time that's ever happened with somebody. I've been doing these reading series forever. And, and it was just so wonderful, like to, to be there and to really look at the three books, those three books together and see the kind of progression was also just such a joy, like to go from this place of thinking about gratitude to delight, to beholding. It's just so amazing. Yeah, 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 it's a beautiful introduction. I felt like you were, you were, you know, good introductions, I think they help people just hear the work, but it also, I, I appreciate them because they, um, one, I also tend not to like to do them. I get nervous. I, I get really nervous about it. Me too. You know? and, um, <laughs> but good introductions can kind of shed light also for like the writer, like, oh, good connection. Like even like when you just said that, like the connection between catalog or the thread or the progression catalog delight. And then like beholding, or even as you were saying that I was thinking regard, you know, like gratitude, delight, regard. Um, And now, you know, I'm writing this book about joy and um, ostensibly about, you know, sort of, I don't know if I mentioned it the other night, but like essays in the direction of joy is sort of what, or something like that, scratching at the surface of, or in the periphery here. And, all of those things being sort of progressions toward this book, it feels, I mean, everything progression toward the next thing, but, but I feel like the questions that I'm trying to ask in this book are sort of learning how to ask these sort of fundamental questions, you know, that again, like that progression, gratitude, delight, regard, oh, joy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are they essays or poems? I can't remember or both. Yeah, they're essays and a little bit longer. These ones are, this one I'm working on right now, God, um, it's, it was actually my editor was sort of like, there's one, you know, I have, I think there's about 12 or 13 essays in the book right now. They range from like probably three page single space to like, you know, 10 page single space, something like that. But this one right now that I'm working on is like, you know, it might be a 20,000 word essay. It's, and that'll be the last one. I got to stop, you know, <laughs> but it's about, but it's about like, 
it starts off in football and masculinity. My, my editor was like, you know, cause she's seen some other writing I've done. And she's like, you know, you're, I'm just curious about how like that football and masculinity stuff. Cause it's a little bit foreign to her in a certain kind of way. And she's curious about it. Yeah. So I decided to go into it and it's just taken off into this. Ultimately, I think what we're arriving at is like the kind of the entanglement actually of grief and joy and that our incapacity to grieve results in an incapacity for joy um, and the opposite. Also, maybe that's kind of my question being true. And like, so the question then is like, how do we actually cultivate our capacity for grief, you know? Yeah, yeah, that rings so true to me. Somebody said to me in the hallway the other day, like, how does he do it? He's just so joyful. And I was like, actually, if you read the work, that's not the message, you know, it, it's like the that those things are totally connected and that they, if you can't feel the pain and the sadness and the grief, then the delight, the gratitude, the joy, it doesn't come. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, then we're grateful for our like fancy shoes. Right. And that's, that's not gratitude. No. That's, some, that's something else. That's yeah. like you know, some other yeah. nice thing or something, you know, fleeting yeah. feeling. Gratitude is not a fleeting feeling. Gratitude right. is sort of, you know, it's a sort of like, it's always there and you just like, or something, you know, same with joy. That's the same with love, you know. Um, yeah. It's, like it's always there. And part of our, you know, maybe the reason we're here is to figure out how to, get into it you know Absolutely. <laughs> the gesture by the way is like mycelial that's me like <laughs> nutrients through mushrooms <laughs> have gratitude or you can't have joy or you can't have you know what delight if it's not something you pay attention to and like work with again and again right so like the more you do it or the more your awareness opens through experiences of grief and sorrow and pain, the, the more we're receptive to it. And I yeah. feel that so much in, in reading you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it feels like a profoundly, um, you know, it's such a, it's such a, um, I mean, one of the things I'm sort of exploring in this book is that part of the resistance to that, um, I wonder, part of the resistance to that immersion or that practice is that we like the idea that we do it on our own it's such a kind of mythology that we really aspire to right. and practice of gratitude is like um however they say it like there's a kind of like beautiful like religious way of saying it, you know like not you know but not for however it says you know meaning like if it wasn't for you i wouldn't be here you know right. <laughs> if it wasn't for you like you know um tree if it wasn't for you air if it wasn't <laughs> Like when it gets down like that, if it wasn't for you, like microbiome, like eight zillion little critters, each of you more than actually is me, yeah. making me, me, like if it wasn't, you know, and then like to go through time and space and to be like, if it wasn't for you who endured what I can't conceive of. Yeah. Yeah. And whether you or not you'd approve of me, whether or not you'd approve of me, that's besides the point. Right. Yeah. Do you know that Haudenosaunee prayer, the Thanksgiving prayer? I do, yeah. My friend Sami actually showed it to me. Um, yeah, it's 
God, I love that. And it's like what it should be. I've been thinking like, what are the rituals? You know, that's a kind of, you know, obviously a kind of ritualized thing. And what are the rituals? You know, I know some friends, maybe this is kind of going around, but I have some friends um, up in Long Island and um, their, their kid who's a grown person now was like, um, came, you know, like for the 4th of July was like, let's do Interdependence Day. You know, and I feel like that's a thing that's kind of going on. But what are these ways that we can kind of ritualize or, or ceremonialize that debt or that need or that beholdenness? And um, I was thinking of like, and it's probably because the time that my friend read me that whole gratitude prayer, I was like, that, that is so long. And, and, and the longness of it means, to, I think, to suggest we're only scratch. It's endless. This is endless. Yes. What if we had every day, every year, I mean, every day, that's a life, but every year, yeah, like gratitude, like, okay, it's, you know, it's done on a date, it's gratitude day, we do nothing except gratitude. <laughs> yeah. That seems reasonable to me. Yeah. yeah. More than once a year, but like, yeah, you know, hey, mom, it's <laughs> <laughs> such a pain in my ass, but I'm grateful. <laughs> I'm grateful for every fucking thing, you know? Yeah, like, totally. All of it. Yeah. When did your awareness open up to that idea, do you think? Like, when did it become something that, you know, gained this momentum inside of you or, and, and like became a thing? You know, it's such a good question. And I'm not exactly sure, but I do know that you know, I was sort of in kind of acute, I would say, more and less inflamed um, emotional crisis from the time I was like 21 until, you know, <laughs> yesterday, <laughs> you know, whatever, all, you know, years. And, but, you know, really like in a hard way for, you know, a decade, say. Mm -hmm. And um, I, in the time, in that time, I was reading, um, you know, Pema Chandron and her teacher, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. Yeah. You know, and I remember Pema was given to me by my friend Nora, you know, to whom I want to always say, like, you know, you saved my life. Um, but, um, but there was this thing that never left me, never left me. And I can't remember if it's in, in um, Trungpa Rinpoche's, um, the something about the warrior, I forget the the something of the warrior or the there's a couple of the books that I've read. They're around here somewhere. I'm looking at my yeah. I'm like looking at this in there somewhere. <laughs> but, but he says something in there where he said he said like um you know like the warrior of course it's not it's not it's the being you know sort of fearless and with life of course it's not at all about anything martial. Um, but the warrior, evidence of the warrior or something like the warrior is always on the verge of tears. The warrior can be smiling and on the verge of tears at the same time. That's that's like, I think that just implanted, you know, and I've held on to that for years, you know, maybe I was 25 or 26 when I read that. And it, it seems so clear, so true to me. And, you know, that's one example, I think, of, of you know, something that made me wonder about this thing. But I do feel like, you know, 
having real sort of serious emotional um, things to, to, to really witness and wonder about, not just ease, yeah. has made me, you know, be like, what made, made me consider these things, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I was around the same age or somebody gave me um, when things fall apart. And same yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the yeah. first one was wisdom of no escape for me. And then I never okay. fell apart. Yeah. 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 Those two. Goddamn. Yeah. Yeah. And and through that, just I found like a Vipassana meditation sangha and got really into Sharon Salzberg's work. And yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah. All of it. All of it. Do you so, have a meditation practice that you do regularly? I go not regularly, but I, but I, in that sort of thing, I mean, I even feel like the book of the lights is in a way it's part of that, you know, and I'm, I may have mentioned it the other night, but I'm doing that again. And I can see it so easily if I'm, you know, there's something that was recently sort of like heavily stressing me out. Say, and I was like, you know what, let me just, let me just go write a delight, you know? as a way just to sort of like, you know, fill it out to like this thing that is stressing you out, which may or may not be a real thing, but it's stressing you out. Let me just go train my mind a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, like I have an, a, an exercise practice that I think of as like mm-hmm. part of that thing. Like I like to work out hard in part because I like to be thinking hard about my breath and thinking hard about my body like all of those sort of kinetic meditation things yeah yeah have you ever I I always think this when I read your work have you ever done some like collaborated on some kind of retreat with like a meditation person or taught a class or have I ever oh we just did a little thing you know um the San Francisco Zen Center oh great but it was more it was really a writing thing Mm. but uh but I've taken a lot of those classes. <laughs> the piece that I'm working on right now is like recounting this whole, and I'm actually going to tell the story because it's a worthwhile story. Great. Um, I'll tell it short. But the I was taking a class sort of in the midst of all this. Um, and at Thomas Jefferson Hospital in Philadelphia. And it was one of those mindfulness. It was John Kabat-Zinn's mindfulness meditation class. Um, not his class, but that kind of rubric. And at some point during that class, you know, I was just sort of in another expression of this hard time, say, and I was taking the class to sort of like be able to think about or be with it better. And the, there was this moment where they did the body scan, you know, like whatever, that meditation technique where you, um, I'll just say it in case people don't know, um, that meditation technique where you sort of you bring your attention to the crown of your head, for instance, and then your forehead, and then your eyebrows, and then your eyes, and then your nose, and your ears, and your cheeks. And you just sort of gradually, just slowly um, relax your body that way. And so we did it. And, you know, it's, it was like, a, it was great. You know, <laughs> it was great. All the techniques they had were great. You know, I'm good with like physical ones, I think. I think people maybe who are a little bit, um, 
maybe have a, I don't have a hard time sitting down, but maybe at the time I did, you know, some of those moving meditations were good or some that were like explicitly not just about following the breath, but were about like sort of connecting to the body, whatever. Um, that one was sort of easy for me. Also makes for good naps, makes for very good naps, <laughs> which is not the purpose I know, um, but oh well. <laughs> you know, that, that's helpful. Yeah. That's yeah, 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 totally. totally. You know how when you're meditating and you're like, and it, you're like watching your breath and then a thought comes and you just label it, thinking. Yes. You know, it's like napping. <laughs> but anyway, so we came back, you know, so the 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 program with the with the cabins in stuff is that you, you know, that you do it for I think 20 minutes a day, every day. You go, you learn the technique, do it all week, come home or come back to class. Do it one more time, then learn a new technique, go home, do it, et cetera. So we were coming back and we all did it one more time together. But the teacher who was a brilliant teacher and was like, do it the opposite way. Let's go from um, toes to the top of our head instead of head to toe. And we did it. And for me, it was fine and it was great. Um, and this teacher asked us, how was it? And most people were like, it was good. And, but this one person was like, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. And the teacher was like, do you, do you know more? Do you know why? And, um, and she was like, I don't know. I just didn't like it. And she went, you know, she's a good teacher, you know? And, and again, this is also like kind of my first time in, in a kind of, you know, I didn't come up, you know, in a kind of therapy, Therapeutic or therapeutic, like all of that was not only foreign, it was in a way condemned, you know? And so this thing, like when she would ask, you know, once she said, I just didn't like it, the second time I was like, yo, that's it, leave her alone. <laughs> but the teacher was like, you know, doing her job beautifully. And she was like, well, can we talk? Can we try to get under that a little bit? Is it, would it be okay? The woman was like, yeah, it's fine. At which point I feel like I'm witnessing a fucking brutality, you know? <laughs> so they just sit down a little bit and she's like, yeah, so what do you feel like? How do you feel in your, the teacher said, how do you feel in your body? What do you feel? And she's like, uh, it's kind of in my chest maybe, in my heart area. And she said, well, what do you feel down there? And she was like, uh, I don't know. And then eventually she's kind of like, says, I feel sad. I feel really sad. And she starts to cry a little bit. And the teacher is doing the appropriate thing. And it's like, it's okay if I touch your forearm, can I rub your back? Here's a tissue, can I, you know, just the, it was the most beautiful, like consensual, like tender caretaking thing. Again, at all of which I'm like, back the fuck off. <laughs> and eventually I realized that this woman, this woman, like I kind of caught that it was something with her and her son, it was sad and, you know, she was just sad, whatever, you know, she's a person. I not only, I was catching all this through my peripheral vision because I could not keep my eyes trained on them. I had to be looking away from them. And, and then I was lucky enough to catch that the feeling in my chest, which was like crunching my fucking thorax or whatever, was the precise feeling that I had every time I went to see my mother after my father died the precise feeling. And then I got to sort of think, start thinking about that, you know, considering that. Um, but it was like, 
you know, I, I, I was in this constant state and that's the sort of beginning of it. Like, because my mind was trying to get me out of this thing, like get out of it. And I couldn't get out of it because my mom, you know, she needed me and I had to like deal with my heart <laughs> really hurting bad. Not only about her sorrow, but about my sorrow. Cause it's about my dad died. You know, my, her, her husband of 35 years, her real fucking like, that's the person with her. That was, her life was around my dad um and us and oh it's it was it was rough what a gift you know what a gift oh my god so that's all to say too that like the question that sometimes follows that i get sometimes it'll be this question about like you said how's he so joyful and it's like um i think of myself as I mean, I think of myself as trying to practice this joy thing um, deeply. And, but I think it also is never at all about anymore extricating um, sorrow or distancing myself from sorrow. In fact, I feel like the more I enter my sorrow or my grief, the more I grieve, the more sorrow becomes, I mean, joy becomes available to me. That's, I th and I and I kind of have a hunch that's how it might be for a lot of people. Yeah, and I I feel like that's easily, you know. I'm so glad you're writing into that. I'll just say that like that that seems so right to me. That's wonderful. I I think about everybody who came and that I saw in the hallways after the reading was saying, I'm life is so hard right now we really needed that and you know people say that all the time when they're engaged with your work which is so wonderful and I think about like you know just personally like the things that are so hard you know climate crisis <laughs> climate anxiety or pandemic life or whatever they are you know there's a million of them for everybody um has anything changed in this sort of heightened time of, you know, global stress and anxiety for you? Almost in a way, just more clarification that, that my curiosity about this thing, which is about, you know, how we gather through the sorrow, right. <laughs> you know, you know, I keep, I keep, saying to myself like you know when students are not engaged or when this or that i'm like yeah it's raining in greenland and they know it whether they know it rained in greenland they know it's raining in greenland and so for me to be like grading them right <laughs> it's like why would we ever Totally. The only thing we would ever do is be like practicing as hard, wondering as hard as possible about how to love each other. Yeah. These systems seem so much more absurd than ever. Yeah. I'm going to use that line. <laughs> gonna, gonna, just, that's going to be my syllabus from now on. Just one line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That makes me think about collaboration, you yeah. know, and and so I don't know if you want to talk about what that means to you and your work and and the ones that you've done 
or how you encourage your students to think about it. But I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, I, lo I love to think about teaching and collaborating. Um, yeah, you know, like um, in the last six or eight years, very much inspired when you noted that you, you mentioned Fred Moten, you know, in the undercommons. Yeah. Fred actually came and gave a talk, a couple talks here. Um, God, it might've been like 2011 or something. I can't quite remember. But he was the person who I first heard say, yeah, I don't grade, or I don't, or I give everyone A's, I think. And he had had a teacher who did the same thing. And the reason his teacher did it was because his teacher just wanted them, his students not to, not to be thinking about that. He wanted them to be thinking, <laughs> you know, not about what the teacher wanted, but about what they needed to think about. Yeah. Shakespeare in this case, you know. <laughs> and um, I remember hearing him say that and just, you know, being like, oh, that's true. And, and he didn't go on and on about it, but he was just sort of, but over the years, you know, I've continued sort of reading his work and, and you know, you know, listening to other talks about teaching and stuff. And, um, and, you know, it was so, it was so kind of fun and funny because the reaction among the people, you know, my colleagues was, some of them might've been like what I felt like, um, but I think a lot of people were like, okay, that's crazy talk. You know, that's crazy talk. <laughs> um, because, you know, in a way, like, you know, what that, I'm pointing the schools that way, um, the school evaluation factory, you know, and, yeah. um, and that, like, when you start to remove that, we were just having some faculty meeting about, you know, more teaching evaluation that's necessary for this and that. Oh, yeah. Someone, I'm so glad, said, like, how many more evaluations are they going to make us do? You know, it's just like the kind of, you know, the castle of evaluation. But, mm -hmm. but anyway, like when I heard, you know, Fred talking about that stuff, and then, you know, I have dear friends who are kind of theater people or in other modes of making. And then I took a letterpress class uh, mm -hmm. here on campus. And, mm -hmm. and I just started thinking, you know, the only things that I, that I really care about in my teaching is that the people, this is the thing, that's actually something that Fred said in a little brief little talk once. He says, we have to get together to figure out how to get together. Mm -hmm. I just love that. I just love that. We actually made a poster of that phrase, you know. That's so great. I want one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Give me your address. I'll see if I can yeah. find it. I'll see. Um, but it's just like, um, with that kind of thing as a, as a guide, or another quote that I love um, by June Jordan from her essay, and it's also a poem, she made it a poem, but it's about, um, she was like one of 10 or 15 public intellectuals, like 1969, I guess, um, asked to comment on the moon landing. And of course she, you know, she was like, why would we ever do that? Why would we ever waste that money when we got people who could use it? And, but one of the things she poses this question, why don't we instead X, Y, or in mercy fathom. Mm. <laughs> what if we in mercy fathom, which to me is like, that's another thing of like, okay, what if a classroom was like this place where we in mercy fathom mm. 
try to anyway, or we wonder about it. Um, and so it made, it stopped like the idea of a, a lot of the ideas just stopped making sense to me of how I had taught and how I, you know, and I just started thinking two objectives. One is to um, metaphor, I think, figure out how different things go together in all kinds of ways and two, community or gathering. <clears throat> so to me, you know, one of the first exercises I try to always inaugurate a class with to the extent that it's possible. It's a lyric, um, I call it a lyric biography, hmm. lyric biography exercise. And I realized years after I kind of, I came up with the exercise that um, is very informed by Banu Kapil's um, Critical Interrogation of Strangers. I love that book so much. I love it too. I love it too. And those questions at the beginning are just so beautiful. They're kind of like lyric questions. And so at some point, be because I probably had Bono Koppel's work in my mind, um, I was like, let's, here's the exercise. We're going to write, and I have to stagger how I convey this to them. We write 10 or so, five or eight or 10 lyric questions if we were writing our own autobiographies. So a lyric autobiography, you know? So, you know, like, you know, what, what directions were the swallows departing when, da, 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 whatever. Um, but that, that are real and that might feel like, you know, might be some way of sort of connecting to your, your whatever autobiography is. And then you take those questions and you ask your, partner, you get a partner, and you ask those questions of your partner, interview them, take notes, write the whole thing down, however you want to do it. And the other person does it as well. And then you make a really beautiful poem, essay, etc. Sometimes we build it, sometimes it'll be like, make the thing so that the form of it carries the some of the content. So if someone was, you know, all about trees, maybe you want to write it on bark, you know, or if it's a, you know, whatever. And, and it's, you know, we do it as a kind of ceremony to inaugurate the class, to start the class, and you give it to the other person. And, you know, and this year it was a Zoom class. And this year, two kids were like, um, yeah, we talked for like, we ended up talking for like three hours on the phone. I think we might be best friends. I'm like, okay, we did it. That was class. We, we did it. Everything else is crazy. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's a couple of people became like, like loving friends. Forget it. Yeah. What a great exercise. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I, there's a couple other places I want to ask you about before we're out of time is, is one is that kind of just working with images, you know, like in beholding and, you know, the parts where you talk about these photographs and thinking about just working with images and, and writing about them and um, the ones you include and don't include, you know, that was really interesting to me, made so much sense and was so beautiful that you didn't put that image in. Um, but when, it gets to that part and beholding, I just, I had to put the book, like I put the book down, you know, like, and I was like, oh, I'm doing what he's asking me to do actually. 
And it was this like really profound moment. And I had to call my friend Danielle Vogel and talk to her because I was like, I need, like, it, it took my breath away, right? And, and then your reminder for us to breathe. Um, I love this book so much, Ross. I just, like, I haven't loved a book this much in so long. Like, thank you so much. But um, I'd love for you to talk about how working with images was and and just that process and experience. Yeah, and one thing I just want to say it out loud so it goes into my head that 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 um, those parentheticals like like just remember to breathe now, take a breath. Um, I wonder if those parentheticals like if part of what I'm saying though I don't say it and maybe didn't even know that I was saying it is that like we. Maybe I'm saying like, grieve this, you know, grieve this, you know, because the alternative is something, right. many things that maybe we don't want, you know, um, yeah. suppression, like rage, like madness, you know, um, but like, let's, let's slow down and grieve this. Um, mm. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, Images, you know, I, it's funny because we were talking a little bit about Jenna Osman. That book, Public Figures, that has images in it is, is a really important book to me um, that I love. There's also a Juliana Spar book. Mm-hmm. It's called Well Then, There Now. Um, I'm looking at the, I, can't, I don't know if it's over there. Um, and it has some images, maybe they don't, maybe not in the same way as, as Jenna Osman's book, but some, some images. I'm taken with books that are, you know, multi, whatever you call it, genre. You know, there's, they're playing around with things. They're not like super straight um, books. And, uh, and books and poems, maybe not, maybe especially, I don't know. But you know, I'm into the experiment. You know, I'm into like the how do we read these things together, and how do we? And when I started that poem, I don't think I had any notion that I would have um, images in it. I don't think I thought that. But then eventually, I think it might have been the case that when I found what became the the cover photograph in a kind of way the turning photograph which is a weird story like I was just I was actually working on this other project this book about land and my family and stuff and I was trying to find where my my great great grandfather who shows up in that book kind of escaping from the south I'm trying to find an approximation of what maybe early century sharecropping in Arkansas, where he was coming, you know, Eastern Arkansas, where he was coming from, could have looked like. So I just went to the, the um, Library of Congress, the Farm Bureau, maybe pictures, whatever they're called. And I was just going through them, just trying to find, you know, kind of trying to find my great grandfather in a way, you know. Um, and what I found, I stumbled upon that photograph. I just totally bumped into that photograph. And the photograph is, um, you know, it's a grandmother and child and the boy, the beautiful little kid, he's wearing 
an aviator cap. And the whole book is about flying. The whole book's about flight and all the kind of variations of flight. Um, so that, I, it might have been the case that finding that photograph and being like, oh, that's the cover of the book. And then realizing that's actually like one of the long meditations in this book. Might have been, that might have been the thing that made me know, oh, I gotta have pictures of this book. Um, and that it was a book about, it was explicitly a kind of book about looking and, and, and pictures and stuff. Um, might have been. Uh, I'm not. I'm not positive about that. But you know, Sadia Hartman's book, you know, which I came to after I've been working on this poem for years, you know, four years or something, and and Christina Sharp's book, which also has images in it, um, and that book just totally, you know, both of those books, but Christina Sharp's especially, they one they sort of validated the the idea of the image, like you're contending with images in this book, but they also made me. Um, like I kind of was re-looking at the book, thinking about things like the wake, you know, thinking mm -hmm. about things like the, the wake from Christina Sharp's, you know, this mm -hmm. her idea of like the sort of what what follows, you know, and, and to use Idea Hartman's term, the afterlife of slavery, like the wake of that. And um yeah, so that's some of the stuff with the with the images. You know, I'm like an image person. I'm really, I'm really, um, I like them in my poems, but I'm also like, I, I'm really curious about what how things look mean, <laughs> and not only how things look, what they appear like, but how they look. You know, that's like, it's like you know, I'm always, I'm real interested in that. Yeah. I mean, it, so much of it is related to, you know, awareness and perception. I mean, because I looked at the photo, you know, I was looking at the photo while you were talking and like I got the flight thing, you know, while I was reading, but then when you get into the things that I didn't see when I got the book, you know, and looked at it, that he's holding that chicken in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the person behind her, you know, and the key on her, you know, like all that stuff. And, and then it, you know, I'm, I'm just so interested in the periphery in general and the things that go unnoticed. Like I, I live, that's where I live, <laughs> like in my, my world. And, and so I loved that way of, of working with the image in your book so much. Yeah, that felt like part of the, part of the project, you know, cause the, one of the refrains is like, what are we looking at? What are we practicing? What are we looking at? What are we practicing? Yeah. And one of the, one of the, um, partly which is also informed by like, to come back to Saidiya Hartman, like her work in that Wayward Lives Beautiful Experiments, which again, you know, I didn't encounter until I was deep into the book, but that helped me kind of come back through the book with this question. Cause I feel like one of her questions in her work is like, is that question? is like, what are we, what are we looking at? Like, there's some talk 
beautiful talk she gives and I and I'll 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 misquote her but she says something about like her her you know it's a conversation between her and Fred Moten actually and um from this thing called the Black Outdoors a handful of things and was it that at Duke it was a Duke, yeah. I listen. I I know that talk. Okay, okay, yeah. There's this moment where where Moten is talking like sort of about concept and about in a philosophical way, and she says, "I feel like my ambitions. I can't remember if she says are more modest or humble, but she sort of says I'm trying to describe things, something like that." Hmm. And in her book, in Wayward Lives, Beautiful Experiments, one of the things that she's trying to do is to to look at, to describe the kind of radical living that was required and innovated by these young black women because of the conditions, you know, the structural, et cetera, conditions um, of brutality that they had to endure. And so there was all of this sort of innovation and radical um, in every way life that was invisible to a lot of people, including W.B. Du Bois, who shows up in that book, um, in part because no one knew how to look. That book is showing us just how to look, which feels so important, you know. Rebecca Solnit's work, I feel, is also very much like that, that that, um, book, and it has been really important to me, that book, um, Paradise Built in Hell. I haven't read that one. I'll read that one. Yeah, it's just like, you know, this kind of awareness that plenty of people have, but plenty of us don't too, that like, there are always these radical actions of, of caring that are in our midst, but we just don't know how to see them. Mm-hmm. And part of, part of the thing of like, you know, Hartman's work teaches me and, you know, and um, Solnit's book, um, Paradise Beyond Hell and other stuff she's doing too, like a lot of other stuff she's doing, is to be able to witness that, witness the ways that we are beholden to one another and are beholding each other. You know, that feels like a really kind of, you know, that feels like a rat up. It seems like a plain as day, but right. also because it's so obscured, right. you know, and because there's all of this sort of, you know, um, this huge sort of, you know, armature that makes us imagine that we are not capable of and do not want to <laughs> yeah. care one another. But in fact, the, you know, these things, you know, Sadia Harman's book is like, yeah, watch, look, look at these modes of care or look at these modes, you know, these very innovative modes of care, despite whatever. Right. And so that, um, that, that really informs this book and the and the kind of witnessing and looking just looking closer like just look closer look closer and then you know that kind of like um that practice of looking i feel like when i'm looking at that photograph of those those people you know the woman's the pattern of her dress looks kind of like the trades you know the like the wind trades and then yeah. the, water or the the shape of the hole in her dress is looks a little bit like an island or something you know it's kind of metaphorical looking it's you know it's making connections by close looking but it is just that thing of and you know thinking about the boy 
Yeah. And there's even that moment of like, I zoomed in as close as I could to the thing in his hand, which may or may not be an origami bird. Right. <laughs> but that is a, to me, that's a kind of, again, it's a kind of like generative or speculative yeah. look that isn't just describing what is, it's describing in a way what I kind of want to be there or need to be there. Um, and need to be there so that I am more capable to love. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think about like Pauline Oliveros and music, like deep listening space. Do you know her? No. no. She's, um, she had this space when she was alive. She's an experimental musician. and Oh, um, I do. I just heard about this person. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Tell more. And, and just like the idea of deep listening and what yeah. that means, you know, is, is connected to this, um, you know, like, and I think also about um, like the, the pause, you know, is such a, a, a fertile place. And there's something about that breathe, let's stop for a minute that's connected to this ability to look deeply or to listen deeply. Um, and I just, I, I really love that connection. Yeah. Um, and, and with music too, that that then becomes collaborative. Yeah. You not only use the listener, but if you're playing with somebody else, you know, um, and that and that collaboration of of being the the viewer of an image, but also thinking about the gaze of the camera, which is yeah. so important, and yeah. and photographs, and and particularly the photographs you're talking about or that Sidia is talking about too. Um, yeah, yeah, and all those pauses, I love that the the pauses or the breaks. You know, my buddy Patch, Patrick Rosal, um, poet. Um, whose whose book um, is uh, the last thing? New and Selected Poems just came out, you know, maybe a month ago. But um, he he talks about the break in in music and you know on the dance floor when the break in the music happens. He's like, that's where the dancing happens. So it's the pause or the change or the break or the shift where the bodies get together and work it out. <laughs> You know, yes. you know, and so yeah. again, to even think about like that to come back to that early question, like the dancing is itself in some way, you know, profoundly connected to grieving. Oh you know? my gosh, this is my colleague Wanju and I were talking about this yesterday, talking about your reading, and then she said, you know, it makes me think about like. Uh, Black Lives Matter protests where like in the middle of it, you, you know, a few of you just like break down and do the electric slide, yeah. you know, and that it's that thing of the joy and the grief. And, and she said something that I loved, which was that it's about also connecting to the deepest, truest part of yourself in the face of, of this thing you're up against. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which was yeah. Too. <clears throat> right. Right, that um, that um, I have this essay. One of the essays in this book, this joy book, is about is about dancing. And um, my <laughs> my buddy Pat shows up a lot in this book. He's he's like, you know, I left the question about collaborating um, 
I kind of kept it in the classroom, but um, accidentally I just forgot. But the, I'm always, I'm like, you know, I have this little book, you know, chat book with Amy Nezakumatatil, this Two Gardens book where we write letters back and forth. And um, another another book, um, collaborative little chat book with my friend Rose Zinnia. And it's a similar kind of thing and kind of working on a book with my friend Noah Davis about, about the basketball. But my friend Patrick Rosal, um, several of my friends, but like Pat is so immersed in my writing and thinking and, and kind of imaginative life that he's always, I'm always collaborating with him. You know, there are all these people, you know, my friend Araceli Skirmai, like all these people who I'm, whether or not I'm explicitly, you know, whether or not I'm explicitly saying I'm collaborating, collaborating with them, I am. And often when I'm not talking about it, I should sound say, often when I'm not talking about it, I am doing it. I'm just writing little quotes from their poems and stuff in my, <laughs> without saying anything. I just like putting the, lacing them through the, um, through the books. But I want to, um, I kind of want to read this, this little, just a paragraph. I please, feel like. yeah, please, please. Okay. Um, let's see, it says, <laughs> Lorca shows up in this little essay. Oh. And, and the, and the, um, the premise of the, of the essay, you know what, can I just read it? Yes. It's Yes, don't, yes, please. <laughs> okay. It's called Joy and Dancing, and it's after and for Patrick Rosal. For the past four or five years, I have kept a note, a post-it note, stuck to a bookshelf next to my bed. It is a quotation, something my friend Patrick said in a conversation one day when we were talking about dancing. He was describing a recent night out in a crowd. Some time had elapsed, some warming up, some groove prepared. I think a particular song came on and then boom, something happened, which he described like this. We went free. The actual second he said it, I smiled and shook my head no, and then shook my head yes, like this motherfucker, and scribbled on my hand and then in my notebook, which I shortly thereafter transcribed to the post-it note that I've stuck here these years. And though I wasn't there, I have been there enough times, enough times to know exactly what he means when he says we went free, which can happen any number of ways, seems to me. For instance, right now, I can more or less guarantee you that if there were 15 or 20 people of my generation and perhaps a few other subject positioning things, if new additions, if it isn't love, or troops spread my wings, or a tribe called Quest's scenario, or any other of 500 or so songs, a thousand of them incidentally by Prince, came over some cosmic speakers, we would, regardless of the setting, I'm telling you, whether it was in a yoga class or at a snoozy literary conference or at a stoplight or a funeral, boom, we jump up and start dancing. Good chance someone, this is one of Pat's callings, or several someones when the song announced itself as those songs do, would yell some diphthongy vow to gather us up like, oh, and as though cinched together by an invisible force, we would, all together now, go free. It's not only, but often it's music pulls us out of our chairs like that, makes us push back from the table and say, damn, like that, or makes us circle up like that, or make a line like that, 
or become a pit like that, I have often gone free in a fishbone pit like that. Perhaps because music's primary characteristic, like our voices, possibly like our bodies, is that it disappears, which is not music's or our body's only characteristic, but a significant one, maybe the significant one, maybe the first one, though birth is the first thing that happens. It's back to Godot again, born astride a grave, here one second, gone the next. That's rhythm, by the way, the breaks in the silence, the breaks in the rest, the break from the grave, and no wonder it draws us up together to shake our asses or whatever on us shakes, remade kin by the break, remade kin by what blooms us from the grave. It ain't nothing that dancing is sometimes called getting down. It ain't nothing that some of our best dancers, I mean our downest dancers, are also our oldest. And like Lorca reminds us, when they dance with the ants nipping at their heels, the roses throw their petals into luminous carpets to our graves. In the midst of all this, you might be wondering free from what? And rightfully so. For freedom, as it is conceived almost always, as far as I know, involves a disentangling or unburdening, free to be me, etc. National myths, Independence Days, for instance, often involve freeing oneself from the oppressive this or that. Never mind the emancipated nation usually slides into the place of the oppressive this or that. Personal stories of freedom are likewise often about getting out from something's control. It's my prerogative. I can do what I want to do, etc. Or getting out of a terrible situation, that too. Spiritual freedom sometimes implies emancipation from the material realm or death or the confines and burdens of the decaying body. Though this gets hazy, given as the spirit can snatch you up to your feet, can take you over, not unlike what would happen, I'm telling you, if the first few notes of Lauren Hill's cover of Roberta Flack's Killing Him Softly came over the cosmic speakers, or Jill Scott's Golden, or the first couple bars of Every Little Step, or either of the Joy and Pains. We would be snatched up to our feet. Yes, passive voice, thank you very much. It would be like that time I was in the waning hours of a dance party in a living room of a straw bale house with a bunch of black farmers at Soul Fire Farm. And the first few notes of Kendrick Lamar's All Right came on. And my God, we went free. People threw their drinks down and sprinted close enough to each other that each other got murky. We became amoebic, hivish, murmurative, our breath and sweat commingled. And that woman from Germantown froze at that part of the song where Kendrick freezes. And in my head, I was like, it was another necessary reminder. God damn, we're beautiful. 10 minutes later, breathing hard, we were out under a full moon. Whitney Houston was covering Dolly's I'll Always Love You. And we made like trees reaching into the air by reaching through the ground toward each other. By which I mean, at least for a little bit, we got free. All of which is to say, as I think I understand it, though for sure the free getting Pat was talking about could be a kind of escape or liberation from any number of things that keep us from dancing hard together police of every stripe, inside and out, whose job is mainly to quell precisely this. We went implies that the getting there, the escape or flight is always together. There is no freedom, despite all that pervasive ubiquitous false me against the world's self-made bootstrap shit, absent we. Not some pipsqueak we either, 
the we born astride a grave, which is um, everything with whom we belong when we dance like this sweaty and funky and groany. And if your knee or your back or your hip hurts, if the wheel of your chair squeaks or you can't see or your heart is broken in two, me too, me too. Let's let it be ours again. Oh, it means let's get up now. It means this is how we get down. Oh, that was so wonderful. I'm so glad you read that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. We reach into the air by reaching down into the ground. I love it. I had a student do this exercise where I make them meditate on a leaf for like a long time and then hide the leaf and just write everything they can conjure that they remember about the leaf. And one student wrote that the pattern on the leaf is the same as the roots. Great, great. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. I think about also freedom from ego, yeah. you know, or like in that, um, in that kind of liberation, but that there's something in the witnessing when it happens that makes it more free too. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like we're here. <laughs> yeah. yeah and that there's like every time you mention a song that it's like this corporeal reaction comes up in the yeah. listening which is so great because it's like oh I know what that it's like this precipice every time you know and yeah. it's so great because it's yeah. that the whole essay has that feeling of like we're about to do it I know, I know. <laughs> we're about to go there I know the other thing that I that I love about that essay, it makes me giggle every time I read it or look at it, is that a lot of the songs are covers. Right. A lot of the songs that we're dancing to that freak us out, that make us move toward each other are covers. You know? Yeah. And it's yeah. just like all these layers of interdependency. It's just. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, that was so beautiful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You've been listening to the Sound Images of the Electro Library, a production from Stonehill's Digital Lab.